Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. When the several armed forces of the United States military recruit new members, they often advertise military life to be a great adventure. The recruiters talk of schooling and travel and excitement. Sometimes that's not the case. In this edition of Radio Curious, we talk with Frank Pacino, who spent his early years in Covalo, California, and then moved to Ukiah, California, where he graduated high school. Frank Pacino was recruited into the United States Marine Corps in early 2001 and is now a sergeant. He was one of the first troops to go into Iraq in 2002, where he spent approximately six months. Sergeant Pacino was returned to Iraq in 2002 and spent approximately a year there. Frank Pacino, welcome to Radio Curious. Good morning, Mr. Bogle. What does it mean to be a member of the United States Marine? Uh, well, first of all, for me still, it's a thing of pride. It's one of America's elite fighting force anywhere you go throughout the United States. And I discovered Europe, particularly Germany. You say Marine Corps and people automatically have a recognition of who you are. And there's a bit more respect, I would say, because they know that this is an elite fighting force compared to the Army, the Navy, or the Air Force. How is it different? Well, Marines are known for being uh, strong members of a fighting force because they're always, usually is the case, the first people in to clean out, I guess, a hostile place to get rid of an immediate danger. What do you mean, clean out and get rid of? Well, I think uh, when in Iraq is a situation, they're in there to put down an army or put down a rebellious force so that another force such as the army could come in and occupy. They're shock troops, basically. Is there any discussion um, within the Marines as to the political reasons why the Marines are in Iraq? Yes, there is. And actually, I'm kind of impressed at some of the the younger ranks, such as PFCs and Lance Corporals, and even the corporals that question why uh, America is in, is in Iraq. And the consensus that I've, of all the people I've talked to, seems to be that it's for oil. To what extent can a, a member of the Marine Corps question why the United States is in Iraq? Well, in terms of an individual being in uniform, not really, because... Uh, we're not allowed to because we get paid to follow orders from our commanders who in turn get their orders from the uh, Secretary of Defense who gets his orders from the President. You can discuss it among yourselves? Yes, we can. What are those discussions like? What's the general feeling as you perceive it? A lot of people, a lot of Alliance Corporals and even sergeants that are in my, my rank get kind of frustrated about uh, some of the things that go on, such as uh, bases being bombed or individuals dying and just some of the harsh conditions that we have lived through. And while well, a question comes to mind is, why are we here? What are we doing? And so that, that seems to be mostly what uh, has been the topic of the conversation of the people I have talked to. 
Well, what is the feeling? Why do the Marines, yourself included, believe that, that the Marines are in Iraq? Indirectly for oil, but that's not the reason. That's not the, the reason what we're being told. We're being told is because we went there to remove a dictator and to make sure that the people of Iraq have a safer place and a better place, a better country to live in. Do you think that's occurring? I guess it could be yes and no. Yes, in that you see that the, there's a government that is forming, and you see that there are things that are being built. Uh, hospitals and schools are being renovated, I guess, so to speak, made better. And no, because there's insurgents fighting, blowing, uh, blowing innocent Iraqis up and attacking uh, military members from the United States and other countries that are there. What are the insurgents fighting for? Particularly, I think it is to, to get rid of the Americans, to have the Americans leave, and to have other countries who are there supporting the Americans. I don't think it's so much that they're fighting against the country. I think so much of this, they're fighting against the Americans. For some reason or other, they have their own reasons why they don't like Americans. Frank Pacino, what motivated you to join the Marines? Actually, I was a, uh, was a sophomore in college. And since I was a little kid, I've always had a fascination for the military, not particularly the Marine Corps, because they had a, from what I understood when I was a younger kid, they were probably one of the tougher branches of the military to get into. And um, I was walking along one day, I was actually heading down to the Army recruiting office, and a friend stopped me and asked me where I was going, and I told him I was going to see about joining the Army, and he told me to get in his car, and we went for a ride. And uh, he said, if you want to join the military, you probably join the Marine Corps. I asked him why, and he was telling me all his different reasons, which I don't remember. So I went down, and I talked to the recruiter, and I was, uh, I was somewhat impressed about their, their history and their reputation. So I figured uh, if I'm going to join any branch of the military, it should probably be the Marine Corps. And if I don't make it through there, then at least I tried. Were you given any promises by the recruiters at the time you were being recruited? There were no promises other than that it wouldn't be that it wouldn't be fun or exciting. It wouldn't be fun or exciting. Basic training, and that depending on what area I went into, there could be rough uh, situations, rough training, I, uh, rough training. Looking back on the conversations you had with the recruiters, um, what's, your, what's your view of that now, almost four years later? Well, I, uh, I probably wouldn't have joined. Um, there's a lot of personal freedoms that you give up. What are those? Uh, individuality, making decisions on your own. You get told what to do. And and just some of the day-to-day uh, -day things you give up, such as uh, questioning things that you disagree with. Frank, tell us a little bit about what the day-to-day um, -day life is like. Um, you've been in Iraq for a year and a half, for six months beginning when the war started in March of 2002, and then uh, for a year beginning in February of 2004. When you first went there in March of 2002, what was the day-to-day -day life like for you? Well, before the war started, we were down in Kuwait uh, staging our uh, equipment to go up into Iraq. And the mornings would start around 5.30, 6 o'clock. And you get up and you have accountability to make sure all your personnel are accounted for. 
and then you just uh, work to get things situated, make sure you had everything that you needed to survive. Like what? What did you need? What did they tell you you would need to survive? Well, for a unit, you would have to have MREs, which are meals ready to eat, and you would have to have, in my case, the unit I was with, we were uh, mechanics. We worked on Humvee, Humvees and some of the larger vehicles, the troop-carrying vehicles and vehicles that carried equipment for uh, the people the people that we were supporting. So we'd have to make sure we had toolboxes. You had to have simple things like oil gaskets or things that your the trucks would need. Did you have those things? Yes, we did. Uh, the reason I ask is because now the end of April of 2005, when you and I are having this conversation, the news reports are that the supplies and the protections for the military personnel are not there. That is the case now, I would say, but it wasn't the case then. I've seen the uh, recently when I was out there, some of the uh, armored vehicles that we have, we didn't get until towards the very end of our deployment. Until actually there was a big, there was something on the news where they were talking about that the American forces didn't have appropriate armor for the vehicles. Not until that came out in the news did we start seeing hardening kits come out to put onto the vehicles that we were uh, that we were uh, riding riding in. After people were injured. That's correct. So tell us some more about what the day-to-day life was like. You're, you're getting ready. You're getting, you're, you're taking an, an inventory to see it, that you have uh, the necessary things you need. And then what? And then once the war actually started, then we move into Iraq. And the first part, we'd be moving around from place to place. Um, tell me also, if you would, what the emotion was like, what it felt like, what you felt like when the war started and when you moved into Iraq. For me personally, I it didn't really register that a war was getting ready to start because I, I had no idea of what was going to go on. So there's, it didn't register. And then when the war started, which was early in the morning, something clicked because then there were Scud missiles that were coming in and air raid sirens would go off. And so there's a there's a feeling of confusion and also um, excitement, not happy excitement, but excitement is as in your heart is pounding and you're, you're trying to maintain a, a calm sense about yourself so that you can do what you need to do. And then when you head into, when I crossed the border from Kuwait into Iraq, and I saw Iraqi civilians, and then I guess I could say that's when it really registered that this wasn't something that you see on the TV. This was real life. This was actually going on. When you say real life, what did you see? When I first, when we first went in across the border, I saw buildings. Some of them were destroyed and some of them weren't. I, I saw a lot of uh, little children running throughout the streets and a lot of uh, adults sitting along the side watching i think it's it was actually a sad it was a very sad very sad scene it doesn't really it doesn't really register with you of what you have in the states some of the the better qualities of life that you have until you see this and the thing that came to my mind was my family and ukiah particularly describe that tell me what you mean 
well, I couldn't imagine myself or my family having to live in Iraq in the situation that that these people lived. I, I mean, we. I look out the window now and I see trees and a, a beautiful landscape, and we're in a building now that's compared to their standards, we'd be it'd be considered millionaires. It's a, a very a very sad level of poverty, and I I I couldn't. I couldn't see how people could live in such conditions, but they have never been exposed to anything else, so I guess for them that would be the norm. What was the terrain like? It's mostly desert in southern Iraq where I was. It's desert as far as you can see. And this time around, there were there were some mounds. I guess you could, I don't want to call them hills because, they're, well, they were sand hills, I guess. And there were some trees a lot of trees along the Euphrates River where I was, but for the most part, mostly desert. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Frank Pacino, a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps, about his experience in Iraq when he was there in 2002 for six months and for 12 months beginning in February of 2004. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Frank, what was it like on a day-to-day basis once you were in Iraq? Uh, how much time did you have to spend on alert, being ready to fight? Uh, how much downtime did you have? There is no such thing as downtime. We're in a combat zone. For me personally, I think the only downtime I had was to get up whenever my time was scheduled to get up and to shave and brush my teeth or to take time to eat. The people I was with, there were five of us, and we were guarding the perimeter. This is the first the first time. We are guarding the perimeter of a camp, Camp Anderson, and we would sleep along the perimeter because we were the security force for that camp. And so there would always be two of us on, and we'd rotate out five or six hours out. So there is no downtime, and except for when you're sleeping, when you're, the other two people are on post. When you say um, guarding the perimeter, and you've described it as being a desert area, um, there was a line or a fence, and you were uh, basically just sleeping out in in some sort of protection or just out in the open. There was a berm. There was a a, a berm of dirt, and that was the perimeter around the camp. And we would build um, or fortify, I guess, the top of that berm where you can have the machine guns posted facing outside of the camp. So that was their only protection was uh, the berm and then sandbags that we used for fortification of that of that position. Where would you sleep? We slept uh, in our sleeping bags under the sky. What sort of uh, food did you have? Uh, meals ready to eat the first time. Did they bring them to you? Yes, we had a uh, a sergeant who was uh, in charge of our group who would bring us uh, water and meals ready to eat. And then in the morning time, they would have um, hot beverages such as coffee or chocolate that we can come and take our, our canteens and to get some of that stuff. How far away was that for you to go from where you were on the, the berm perimeter to where you would go get the hot beverages? That would be about a five or ten minute walk. Across the desert, just open, flat, dry desert? Inside of the camp, inside of the camp where they had um, the uh, vehicles staged. 
vehicles posted. They were parked. But the second time, the second time this last year where I just came back from, living conditions were a bit better. We were inside hardened buildings on an actual Iraqi military base, and we had um, water for showers, although you have to get it pretty early if you wanted a hot shower. And we had a dining facility that they served warm food. They served four meals a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then midnight midnight uh, rations for you to eat. And there was also uh, a post-exchange, a store, a military store. And they had a lot of uh, different shops that some of the local Iraqis that lived on the base, I guess that were deemed safe by the powers that be. They had shops there where they made uh, Iraqi food and they sold it to uh, the members that were on the base. How much money were you paid by the Marines to be there? For my rank, that would be roughly about $1,100 a paycheck, so about $2,200 a month. And that's the amount that you received while you were there, or some of it was set aside for you here in the United States? That's the amount that I received while I was there. That's because you have different entitlements, such as hazardous duty pay, uh, hostile fire pay, and because uh, it's tax-free tax, tax free because we're in a combat zone. What was the life like for the women soldiers there? Well, I don't think it was any different than what the males experienced other than that they were segregated and they lived in their own their own living quarters. They weren't allowed to... We weren't allowed to have co-ed, co-ed rooms. But for the most part, they, they held their own and they did just as good as the, as the male as their male, uh, male Marines. Were female Marines out on the perimeter in your group of five? The first time, no. The second time, they did go out on convoys, and they did everything just, just like we did. In fact, they, they didn't seek any special treatment at all. They wanted to get involved, and I think that's, uh, that's um, something to be applauded by them. Do you think that the women Marines were subject to any... Um, sexual discrimination or sexual pressure by other marine members or higher-ups in the marines in my unit i don't I, I didn't see that for the most part we were all stationed we were all together at camp pendleton we all went out together and if anything the higher-ups looked that were in charge of these females looked at them sort of i guess you could say as their as a daughter just as i would look at them as my sister because i've i've known them and i've worked with them so in other words, when you uh, start training as recruits and beginning in boot camp, you form a group and you stay pretty much together with that group as you go to Iraq or some other place? Well, some of the people that you're in boot camp with, you don't necessarily go through the Marine Corps with. You form these friendships and these alliances with people once you get to the unit where you're going. And that's the case. I mean... I think also, almost in a way, the Marine Corps encourages that because when you go out to a combat situation, the people that you know or that you're in your unit with, those are the only people that you have. They tell us that in, in boot camp that the Marines that you see in your in your section, the, that is that is your brother. Your brother will protect you and you will protect your brother. So there's a lot of uh, trust that is established when you meet the people of the unit where you're going to. One of the things that you sometimes hear about Marine Corps training is that Marines are trained to be killers, 
and trained to be desensitized about what happens when you're shooting a machine gun uh, at or toward people. Did you have that experience? Yes. In basic training, they told us our prime, our primary mission or our primary duty is to seek and destroy the enemy, which is what the Marine Corps is for. And in terms of desensitized, I don't think, I think that's kind of a strong word, but it's also correct is when I was in basic training, I remember they said, look at the target. That is a target. You don't see, you don't put your, you don't try to see that the target as a, as a, as a human being, you see it as a target, as a paper target. And I think for the most part, it works. I mean, if you have a 19 year old kid that's out there on the front lines or they're on a convoy and they're attacked by, I guess I just want to say the enemy you wouldn't want that that 19 year old the 18 year old to see the enemy as a person because then that makes it a bit harder to, to to shoot them you have to see them as a target and I will admit I'm guilty of the same thing I don't see an enemy as a living person or as a being I see it more as a target as an object that would need to be destroyed how did it happen for you that that change came about I don't I don't recall that but I know that the first time I saw a dead body I saw that it was I saw that it was a human and for a minute I guess you could say I had a human reaction whereas I felt I felt kind of bad that I saw that somebody lost their life I guess it's the human the human side the I want to say a human emotion that all people experience but then I quickly realized that this wasn't this was an, an enemy that probably fought against a fellow Marine, probably probably killed a fellow Marine, and I lost that. I didn't I put that out of my head and said, Well, it's just something that happened. What do they tell you during basic training about the process of killing people? There really isn't a process of killing people that they teach you. Exactly. Basically, they teach us hand-to-hand -hand combat, and they teach us uh, weapons handling. The more, I think, if, if you want to go deeper into that, that would be reserved for people who are enrolling in the infantry. I'm not in the infantry unit. I'm in a, in a support, support, support unit that supports the infantry who are on the very front of the lines. When you enrolled in the Marines, when you uh, accepted the recruitment, uh, were you told that you would go to the front lines? There's an understanding that they that you have when you en when you enlist in the Marine Corps. I don't know about any other branches, but you will be subject. You could be subject any time in the four years that you are on active duty to being deployed around the world. Not necessarily to a war; it could be to a peacekeeping operation or natural uh, natural disaster relief operation so you know when you enter into military service that you do have a, uh, a chance of being deployed would you do it again now knowing what you know now almost four years later yes and no no in that I wouldn't go into the Marine Corps unless I had uh, finished my college education and I would go in as an officer to lead some of the people 
that I've, I've worked with now. And yes, because basically it's for the friendships that I've had, that I've met. I've met some some really decent people that I've worked with. And I'm the experiences that I've had with them, I would do it for that. Would you recommend it? I wouldn't recommend going into the military unless you were certain, 100% certain, that that is going to be a career for you. In other words, a, a lifelong career as opposed to a four-year commitment? That's correct. Frank Pacino, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? An interesting book that I read? Well, there's a, quite a few, but I would say it would probably have to be actually one of the books that you... Uh, you have on your shelf over here it's a uh, bush at war by uh by bob woodward that's one of the probably the last real book i read and that was uh when i was deployed uh, in iraq frank pacino thanks for being with us on radio curious thank you mr vogel sergeant frank pacino is about to complete his four-year enlistment in the United States Marine Corps. The book that he recommends is Bush at War by Bob Woodward. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.